morning, everyone. This is Mark Tinsley, and you are joining me on The Message, which is a ministry of inquiry for today. Today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37, in a message I've entitled, The Last of the Least. So before we get started with that, why don't you join me in listening to God's Word, Mark chapter 9, 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. You know, recently I was thinking about the matter of discipline. And you know, as a parent, sometimes discipline doesn't go quite as we expect it, does it? But you know, the discipline of God always goes as he expects it. Wouldn't you agree? And in our passage for today, we see God both disciplining his disciples and instructing and growing them all at the same time, something, of course, God does all too well. And we see this in places like the book of Judges. You know, in the book of Judges, Judges, Israel would prosper, wouldn't they? And then they would sin. Then God would send a judge to judge the people. Then they would repent. Then they'd go back into a period of blessing and prosperity. And then the cycle would repeat. And we see that repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. Well, I want to submit to you today that we see a similar type of cycle worked out in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. We see a cycle of the disciples working with Christ and receiving important instruction from him. Then we see them getting caught up in the pettiness of pride and competition, that is sin. Then we see Christ correcting them, bringing them back to reality, as it were and leaving them in the process with a little nugget of wisdom that has become a foundation of who we are in Christ. And we'll get to that nugget towards the end of our message today. So let's start looking at this progression. First, we find Jesus instructing the disciples. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32 say, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anybody to know it. For he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Now look at what he was teaching them. He was teaching them about the reason for his coming. He was teaching them about his death to atone for sin. He was teaching them about his resurrection to conquer sin and death for all time. He was teaching them about sacrifice and selfless servanthood and unconditional love and grace and in the giving of oneself for others. And ultimately, he was teaching them 
about victory. I mean, this was some meaty stuff he was teaching them. And it's not the first time that he had taught it. In fact, he had already taught them these truths earlier in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, wherein, when they were in Caesarea Philippi. And let's face it, this stuff was not rocket science. I mean, if they truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, which we presume they did, and if they knew their Old Testament scriptures about the suffering servant in places like Isaiah, which we presume they did, at least in part, and if they genuinely trusted Jesus, which we presume they did, then what Jesus said should have been ultimately internalized and easily and immediately internalized, understood, and accepted by the disciples. But it wasn't. Verse 32 says straight up that they did not understand. Plus back in Mark uh, chapter 8, verses 32 through 33, you'll remember that when Jesus taught these things the first time, Peter rebuked Jesus to which Jesus spoke his famous missive, Get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. So I guess it's a little wonder in our passage today that it says in Mark uh, chapter 9, 32, that the disciples were afraid to ask Jesus anything about their misunderstanding or confusion. Anyway. You know, in our lives of faith, we too are taught things by God, aren't we? Through Bible study, through prayer, through mentorship and experience, many other ways, yet we, for whatever reason, don't understand. We get confused and maybe like the disciples, a little fearful to ask God for help. So let's not be too hard on the disciples, right? Far too often, we're right there with them, if we're honest with ourselves anyway. But let's move on. Jesus has just taught the disciples this weighty, meaty stuff. He's just poured out his plan for the future to them. He's been as transparent, as authentic with them as he could be. Yet, look at what verses 33 through 34 say. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. What? I mean, Jesus has just told them that he's going to die. That he's going to be betrayed into the hands of the enemy. That the enemy is going to kill him. And he's just said that after all this happens, he's going to be miraculously raised from the dead. And what do they do? They argue about which one of them, the disciples, is the greatest. What? I mean, this is the height, folks, of selfishness and ingratitude and insensitivity and pride. This would be like a friend or family member telling you that he or she had just been diagnosed with cancer and had only a couple of days to live, and you respond that you're worried about getting a promotion at work. People would think you were the most insensitive, self-centered dolt in the world. Well, what are we supposed to think about the disciples? I mean, come on, guys. But of course, we're the same so often, aren't we? We so often spit in the face of Christ and his death and resurrection when we fail to love others. 
when we think only about ourselves, when we lash out at others instead of demonstrating patience, when we commit acts of immorality, when we are deceitful with employers, when we fudge on our taxes, when we disobey the laws of the land, and yes, I do mean even speed limits, and when we do the myriad of things that we know are antithetical, that is against the will of God. When we thumb our noses at God, we're no better than these doltish disciples in Mark chapter 9. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. When we take the true teachings and the selfless acts of Jesus Christ for granted, or, or when we don't take the time to understand them and make them a part of who we are and how we live our lives, then we are no different than Peter, James, John, and the others. Let that sink in for a few seconds. Fortunately, like the Israelites of old, God doesn't let his people, that is us, founder on the rocks of our own sin and ignorance for long. He corrects us. And in our passage for today, we see Jesus correcting the disciples. Listen to verses 35 through 37. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Folks, in response to the disciples' idiocy and selfish, selfishness and pride, Jesus patiently sits down, calls them to himself, and then teaches them and us maybe the most important truth that they and we could ever learn. He says, in essence, if you want to be first in my kingdom, then you must be last in this kingdom, that is the world. If you want to be in the first place position in the eyes of God, then you must voluntarily put yourself in the last place position. If you want success, then you got to stop trying to be successful and serving yourself and your own needs. And instead, you need to start looking externally at the needs of others and start serving those needs. And then he gives us an example of this. He gives us the example of little children. Now, little children then, like little children today in so many cases, were almost considered second-class citizens. They were treated with disregard so often, not respected, not considered to have as much social value as adults. They were to be seen and not heard, and we see the same thing today with child abuse and child trafficking and child slavery and all these things. Children are not highly regarded and have not been in history. But this is not how Jesus sees the little children. In fact, he says that even the least of these, the last of the least, the little children, are to be welcomed, welcomed as if you are welcoming God himself. Now, folks, this was a revolutionary statement and philosophy for a Jewish rabbi to make or have. Do you realize that? In verses 35 through 37, Jesus is turning the worldview of his day on its head. And he's turning our Western worldview on its head today. 
We strive a lot in, in America, don't we? We strive for promotion. We strive for place. We strive for prestige and for money and for respect and for the win. But Jesus says that being number one, being the winner, making the most money, getting the promotion are not and should not be our primary concerns. Rather, our concern should be for the last of the least. Our concern should be looking for ways to become last so others can be first. In other words, it's about sacrificial service for others. It's about putting it out there for God at the expense of our own prestige and comfort. I want to tell you a story about this from my own life. My grandfather, my mother's father, was a man who taught me a lot. And he used to have a salvage store, a hardware store in our little hometown. And I remember there was this old man that used to come by a lot, and he was really grumpy and used to treat my grandfather horribly. But my grandfather was a God-fearing man, loved the Lord, and served others. And I remember one day this grumpy old man, whom my grandfather had a lot of experience with, came in and said, well, I need a door for my, my house. And my grandfather said, well, I've got some doors. So they went back and they rifled through the doors until they found one that fit the guy's need. He brought it up to the front. And he said, well, I don't have any money to pay for it right now. And my grandfather said, it's okay. I'll tell you what, you can have the door. And the man said, okay, well, I can't get it home right now. I'll have to come back and get it later. And my grandfather said, I'll tell you what, after work today, I'll actually bring the door over to your house for you. He said, in fact, I'll bring the door to the house for you. And because I know you're of ill health and and probably can't do it by yourself. I'll put the door in for you, and I'll do all of these things. Give you the door, bring the door, put the door in, install it at no cost to you. Now, folks, that was selfless service. That was living a life that looks out for the last of the least. I remember a gentleman that lived across the road from us where I was growing up. His house was dilapidated, fallen down. My grandfather went over one day and said, I'll put a new roof, I'll put new siding, I'll new, put new doors and windows on and in your house at no cost to you. Now, I wish I could say the guy accepted, but he didn't. He was too prideful to, to take advantage of my grandfather's grace and mercy. But, but the fact that my grandfather offered that was a tremendous testimony to me as a child. And then, of course, the stories of him investing in me and my cousins. Folks, he spent a lot of time with us. He mentored us. He showed us how to do things, build things, how to be as a man. And all of these things were in service to the little kids, the last of the least, those of us who had very little consequence in the eyes of the world, but yet in his eyes. We were important. I ask myself today, how am I doing in this regard? How, how am I doing in following my grandfather's example and following the example of the great believers of Scripture, following the example ultimately of Jesus Christ? And, well, I don't know that I'm doing too well. A lot of times I think I'm like the disciples. I'm not hearing the clear instructions of Jesus 
I'm thinking about my own needs and desires. Disregarding the clear desires of God. Thinking about myself in first place instead of the last of the least. You know, if God is speaking to your heart right now and saying to you, Hey, Christian, the last will be first and the first will be last. And that is pinging in your heart and in your mind. Then I challenge you to, to take hold of that. Release your pride, release your selfishness and become all that God has created you to be. Folks, God wants the best for us. He wants us to succeed, but not necessarily in the first place position. He wants us to succeed by submitting. He wants us to succeed by falling back into his arms. He wants us to succeed by looking at ways that we can help other people succeed, ways that we can put other people before ourselves in service, in grace, in mercy, and in love. Won't you join me in doing this for those around us? God bless and have a good day.